On Sunday in church, the pastor was praying, and all of a sudden, as the prayer came to an end, there was a real loud noise at the back of the church. And every head turned, and they looked at this little boy who excitedly said, Mum, I was praying for God to teach me how to whistle, and he just answered my prayer. Praise God. We've been looking together in the book of Philippians about joy and learning what it means to have joy in our lives. And Paul is encouraging us to have the same kind of enthusiasm and excitement that that little boy had when he said, Mum, I asked God to teach me how to whistle and he's just answered my prayer. And he didn't care who else heard it or what else it meant in the church service. I'm not asking all you to start learning if you don't know how to whistle right now, but... He's had that excitement to say that God, God answered my prayer. And today as we look and continue in the book of Philippians, we'll see that Paul says we need to have excitement because God is at work in you and in me. And we might go, yeah, I know that. I know that God is at work in us. But just think about it for one moment. That God is at work in you and in me. The God who created the whole world, who set everything into motion, has said, you know what, David, I can work in you and through you. Isn't that amazing? When you just stop and think about it for a minute, that God is looking down on you right now, looking out from inside of you right now and saying, you know what, I made you, I created you, I fashioned you, and I'm going to work in you and through you for His glory. That just amazes me. Because when I think about it, when I stop long enough and think about it, I just think, well, why would you want to? God, you can do anything you want to do. Can't he? He's God. So why would you choose to use me? You know what I'm like. I know what I'm like. I'm not going to tell you what I'm like, but I know what I'm like. You know what you're like. Not on a Sunday, not when you put this dapper suit on and a snazzy dog collar and shirt, but you know, or when you dress up, or when you're you know what you're like in your thoughts, in, in the times where you're all alone at the weekend and the door is shut. You know what you're like in those darkest moments as well as those bright moments. And yet God says, you know what, I want to work in you. I want to I touch your life. And it just astounds me and amazes me. But that's what God is saying to us in today's reading. Get your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. And we're continuing. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 11. About the joy that we have in us. And about being unified. And unity is one of those key things that you need if you're going to have joy. If you're disunited, there will be no joy. It disappears. In an instant. That's why 
The enemy works so hard to disunite the church of Jesus Christ. Because where there is disunity over anything, then joy is far from the scene. But where you have unity, Paul said, where you are like-minded, united in head, in heart, in soul, then you will have the joy of Christ flowing in you and through you. And he moves on from there to what we're saying today. So let's read, but before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for your words. We want to thank you for the words that you gave to Paul to write even while he was in prison. The truth is, if he hadn't been locked away for two years, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament. And so you, you use that time that he had there to help him to write these letters back to the churches and to teach us how to apply the love of Jesus Christ into our lives and into the lives of others around us. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask as you, as you, uh, as you enliven it to our spirits today that, that we would learn what it is you would want us to learn today. Speak to each one of us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, this is after he's just said, verse 5, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. And do you remember that bit? Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, became a servant, was obedient, humbled himself, died on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest heavens that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Paul says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Firstly, Paul says, the way in which we should be excited because God is working in us is because he is growing in us. And Paul describes two, two parts of obedience first. Firstly, there's obedience, he says, in my presence. Now we know what that's like. When a parent watches over a child, they're very obedient. When you say to your child, now, clean your room up. And you stand there, watching them like this. You know what they're going to do? They're going to clean their room. They might not do it speedily, because they're children. But they will clean their room. And it will be done. There's, that's one kind of obedience. Do your homework, you're watching. I heard about a missionary overseas... And they were trying to get, uh, uh, he was working for the Mission Aviation Fellowship, I think. And they needed to build a runway in this place. And um, they noticed that he couldn't be there. While, while he was there, he got all the local villages and everybody else to come and build this kind of grass strip runway. And they had to clear all the bush and everything else. But he noticed that when he was called away, all the work stopped. They would just go, well he's not here. So, we'll go back to doing what we normally do with our days, going and doing our crops and everything else. And when he comes back, then we'll get on working again. And he said, we're, we're never going to build the runway this way. It's going to take ages and ages. This guy was blessed 
Because he had a glass eye. He only had one real eye. And so he thought to himself, I know what I can do. And he took out his glass eye. This is true. He placed it on a tree stump. And he left it there. And he said, I'm watching. The runway was built in no time at all. Because all these guys thought that he was literally there looking at him through his eye even though he was miles away. And we all know that that is kind of how we behave so often, is it not? When we think that we are being watched, then we're very obedient. I remember when my grandfather died. He was probably the first close person to me that had died. And I thought of my grandfather in heaven. And I, I, was, I was young, I was a teenager. And I suddenly thought, I wonder if my grandfather can see everything I'm doing. And that kind of frightened me, to be honest, that thought. My drinking habits and all these other bad habits I had in those days. And I kind of started turning over a new leaf. I kind of started behaving differently because I suddenly thought, maybe my grandfather's watching me from heaven. And I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to meet him face to face one day and he actually has seen what I really am like instead of the nice grandson that used to go around and visit. Didn't last long of course, because I'm human. But, you know what I mean. And Paul says there's two kinds of obedience. There's that kind of obedience. But much more is obedience when you're not there. But how much, but now much more in my absence, he says. And God grows in us when we are obedient to Him. When we have that genuine motivation within us. Paul says it best in Colossians, in Colossians 3.22. He says, he's talking about slaves here, but he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So Paul is saying we need to be obedient to God, springing out of that genuine motivation that is within us. Knowing that we can, we can be obedient because we know that God is not just that he's looking at us and judging us, but because it's a love offering. We want to be obedient. We want to follow him. We want to do the things that he's asking us to do and not do the other things that he doesn't want us to do. Not because he's looking at us, but because we're responding to his love. And it just comes out of our heart that we want to do those things. Jesus has just, or Paul has just given the example of Jesus. This is how you're obedient. He said he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not because God was looking at him, but because he wanted to bless God and serve God and follow God and be the person that he was sent to be. And that's who we are to be. I heard about a governor uh, of Massachusetts who was uh, in an uh, election campaign. And he was going around like they all do with MPs and everybody else in election campaigns. And he ended up at a church barbecue, fate. 
And he was there greeting people and, and he had been really, really busy because he was going to every kind of place that he has and he was hungry because he hadn't had breakfast and he'd just been dashing around and he got to the barbecue and he was starving. And he queued up like everybody else did because he's trying to win votes. It's not going to push in when you're winning votes. And so he's queuing up there and when he gets to the lady who's serving the chicken, he said, ma'am, can I, do you think I could have two pieces of chicken? I'm kind of hungry, I skipped breakfast, I've been really busy. She said, no, just one, like everybody else. And he was thinking, well, I probably won't even have supper, so it would be really nice if I could have two. So he did what you should never do. He tried to pull a bit of weight on. He said, do you know that I'm the governor of Massachusetts? Do you think I could have two pieces of chicken? She said, no. She said, do you know that I'm the woman in charge of the chicken? <laughs> I've been told, one piece. And one piece only. You know, it's about being obedient to God. Because when we're obedient to God, God grows in us. And look how he does it. Look at, look at what he says. He says, now continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's weird, isn't it? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Well, let's look at the fear and trembling bit first. Why, why fear and trembling? Surely God is love and we should just work out whatever we're supposed to work out in love. Not in fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is when you're standing and you've done something wrong, isn't it? Did you ever do anything wrong in school and you had to stand before a teacher? You're in church, remember? That's fear and trembling. Because you know they could do something really nasty. Or to your parents or someone else. You're grounded for the next 65 years. You know? And you're there in fear and in trembling. So what is he really talking about? I think he's talking more about... Think about Niagara Falls, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. When you go to somewhere like Niagara Falls, you can actually go down and... I've been here, you've been down underneath and you go out and you come behind the falls. Have you done that? If you've been there? It's amazing. A part of you, when you see it, the whole falls, kind of part of you wants to kind of go, this is just amazing. It is so beautiful. You see the horseshoe falls and the other falls and... The rainbow that's over because of all the, the air that's all, all the water that's been in the air and everything. It's just awe inspiring. And part of you is there going, Oh, this is, I just want to get really close. I just want to. Part of you goes, oh, I wonder what it'd be like. And then, what would it be like in it? Feel it. And when you get behind it and you feel the rush of the water, there's a tendency for you to kind of go, I wonder, I wonder how strong it really is. Let me put my hand out and feel it. You're not allowed to, of course, because your hand would end up at the bottom probably with you after it. Because there's that sense of which it's beautiful and it draws you to it. But there's also a part of it that pulls you away because it is so fierce. It is so big and if you've gone in the boat out to the bottom of it, you, you get the sense of what it's like and the power that is coming down there. 
And it's the same, is it not, with us and God? There's a sense in which I want to be in the very presence of God, in the Holy of Holies, in in his courts. Wouldn't you like to stand before the throne of God and see him in all his majesty and his might? But isn't there a sense also that if I was there, I'd kind of be hiding behind the pillar? Because I'd be worried about being there as well as enjoying being there. Does that make sense? It's like John in Revelation, isn't it? He gets ushered up into the very courts of heaven and he goes, oh my goodness, and he falls on his face and he says, I can't even look. I shouldn't be here. I like Peter when he gets out the boat and swims to the shore with Jesus and he says, away from me because I'm a sinful man. Do you remember? It's like that. There's two sides that are drawing you together. And Paul is saying that here. The fear and the trembling. Because we're there, we're coming, but we're also nervous because of who God is and how mighty he is. And he says, we need to work out our salvation. Now this is not work for your salvation. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Just back one book. Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you hear that? It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul is not now contradicting himself and saying, oh, but you have to work for your salvation. No. What he's saying is that salvation, a relationship with God, is a free gift, one for us by Jesus on the cross. He gives it to us freely. But that is just the start of the journey. It's not the end. And we have to work... Work that out. Work it in our lives. How does that affect me? How does that change me? What difference has that made in my life? He's saying, you need to work on it. To keep on revisiting it. Jesus has died so that he has forgiven me. What difference is that making? Imagine if you will that you work for a company. And the president found it necessary to travel out of the country and spend an extended period away, abroad. And he said, he gathered all his employees together and he said to them, look, I'm going to have to go away on business. I'm going to be away for quite a while. When I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business and manage everything just as if I was here. I'm going to write to you regularly. I'm going to send you letters and instructions and as I hear different things or things change in the world, I'm going to give you instructions about what you should do. And everybody agrees and wishes him well on his journey. And he's gone for a couple of years. During that time he writes back often. He communicates his desires and his concerns and he sends them back to his company. And finally he returns. When he walks up towards the front of the building where the company is, he immediately discovers everything is in a mess. There's weeds all over the front flower beds where it used to be beautiful. There's broken windows that are patched up with bits of tape. When he gets inside the building, the people on the front desk are dozing, having a kip. 
fast asleep. And when he goes up to some of the offices, there's just music and partying going on. And he's saying, what's, what's, what's happening here? Instead of making a profit, he finds out that the business is going downhill rapidly. And without any hesitation, he calls everybody together and he says, listen guys, what's going on? What happened? Didn't you get my letters? They went, yeah, sure, we got your letters. We got all of your letters. We even put them together in a big binder. That's how much we looked after your letters. In fact, some of us even memorised little bits of your letters. Because they were good letters. They're pretty cool. He said, well, what about this? He said, no, 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 no. We haven't finished yet. We didn't only memorise some. In fact, every week we would get together and we would open up your letters and we'd read a little bit of it together. Just for bonding time. That's what we did. And the president would say, but what did you do about my instructions? Do? Well, we didn't do anything. But we read every letter. Paul is saying... You need to work it out. There are believers that are like that employee in that company. They say, thank God I'm saved. And you don't notice any difference from that moment to the day they die. They haven't learned what it means to work out the salvation within them. If you are not different today than this time last year, there is a problem in your life because being a follower of Jesus Christ is about constantly obeying what he wants us to do and allowing him to change us and if you are not allowing him to change you then why you're like an employee in that company I'm like an employee in that company we need to be different we need to look back and say You know what? I'm a very different person today, thank God, than I was then. And I pray that this time next year, I'll be a very different person too. Because God is continually working out His salvation within me. As I constantly seek to obey His will, His desires. How much have you changed since you've met Jesus Christ? In your attitude, in your plans, in your worldview, in your character. How much have you changed? In verse 1, or chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6, Paul said it before him. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. We will never arrive till we meet him face to face. But I pray he will continue to do his work in me and through me. Continually transforming me and molding me. Until the day where I meet him face to face. That's what we are to be like as followers of Christ. The first thing we need to do. Is recognize that he's growing us. As disciples. The second thing is this. Let's carry on reading. Verse 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. 
so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Isn't that beautiful? Shine like stars in the universe. God wants to show you off. God wants you to be like a star in the universe. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. He wants people to look up at you and see you shining for him, for his glory. That's what it says. He wants you to be a a shining example to people around. So that everybody who looks at you will be blessed. Because they'll see God within you. How do you do that? Well, first of all, he says it's active. Do everything. Don't just sit there. It's not going to happen if you just say, Okay, God, make me shining. Here I am. Just make me radiant for you. No, he says do everything. Do the things in obedience. Carry on doing it. It's active. It's not passive. Get stuck into ministry. For him, get stuck into following what Christ wants you to do. Each one of us should be able to answer what ministry Jesus has called us to be involved in. If somebody to ask you that question, what is the ministry that Jesus has called you to be involved in? I'm not just talking about in the church either. I'm talking about in his kingdom. What ministry has he called you to be in right now? You should be able to say it like that. This is the ministry. This is the paramount ministry that God has called me to be in. This is where I fit right now. May change in the future, but right now this is what he's called me to be and to do. You should know that. This is why I'm here. This is the part of the puzzle. This is where I fit. This is who I am. Because he's handpicked you for this moment to do that ministry that he's asking you to do. He says, do everything, and then secondly, without complaining or arguing. Arguing in the Greek literally means muttering under your breath. You know what I mean. Why shouldn't we complain or argue? Surely there are things that we should argue about, and there are things that we should complain about. The difficulty is that if you start complaining about yourself, what you're doing is actually attacking the sovereignty of God. Let me explain what I mean. If I say, Lord, why is Trinity Church like this? Why can't you do this? What am I really saying? I'm saying, Lord, if I were God, then this would be very different. Just just give me 24 hours. I'll sort them out. Lord, why, why have you inflicted me with this? If I were God, I'd know better than... I wouldn't inflict me with this. Do you see what you're doing? We're saying, Lord, yeah, but I don't really think you can got it quite sorted. Let me give you some advice. And we're actually attacking the very sovereignty of who God is. There are loads of things I don't understand. I come to God and I say, Lord, I don't understand why somebody has this. I don't understand why somebody suffers like this. But don't come and say, start complaining. 
Because if we do that, we're attacking who God really is. And saying, you know what, I could do better. Just give me a chance, Lord. Thank God he doesn't. Because we would soon find out, wouldn't we? We would see the big picture instead of the little picture. We'd understand eternity instead of right now. It would be very, very different. But God wants us, without complaining or arguing, without attacking who he is, he wants us to shine like stars. He wants us to be up there so he can look at us and say, and and other people can look at us and see Christ living within us. That's how he wants us to be. Blameless. In other words, above accusation. So nobody can accuse you of anything serious. Pure, open, that we show who we really are to people around us. Faultless. That we just are who we say we are. What you see is what you get. This is me. God loves me. That's how he wants us to be. I heard a beautiful story about a waitress in a cafeteria restaurant. Her job kept her from church most Sundays because she had to work. But she used to have her own devotional time at home. She prayed, she read a Bible. Sometimes she watched some preachers on the God channel and things like that. But she had to work hard to make ends meet. It wasn't a very easy job. One day she had a particularly difficult customer come in to the restaurant. He swore a lot. He complained even more. Three times he sent the tea back. Said it tasted funny. Get me another cup of tea. And so three times she brought him a fresh cup of tea. He looked sourly at her when she brought the bill. And when she wished him good night, he merely grunted and left. But a week later, this guy came back again. Came with some friends. He was exactly the same attitude. He was terrible. She tried so hard to be patient with him. But on his fourth visit, this guy was wearing on her nerves. And as she saw him come into the shop, she said to the lady who who seats all the customers as they come in, she said, please don't seat him in my section. I'm not sure if I can serve him without losing it completely. And the lady said, okay. But when the guy came in, he said, I want to sit over there, please in her section and so that's where he went with with his friends and her heart just sank as she went over with gritted teeth to take his order before she could get a word out the man said this he said how's my favourite waitress doing today and then he turned to his friends and he said do you know what This lady is the best waitress here. She gets all your food out on time. In fact, she's always friendly. She always looks after you, asks you if you need another drink or whatever it is. And he turned to her and he said, you know what? In fact, you're the best waitress I've ever had. Whenever I come in here, 
I always feel I leave feeling great because of you. That's what it means to be a star shining for Christ. She didn't do anything different to anybody else except she let the love of God flow out through her and it affected that gentleman who came. Paul says we should be excited because God is growing in us. Not only that, because God is showing us to others as stars. And lastly, verses 16 to 18. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, first of all, that the word of God holds us. It motivates us. He's saying, if God can work through you, then surely God can work through me. You know, I love the word of God because it's full of completely inept, floundering individuals. Isn't it? Think about the word of God. You get people in there like David, who was a murderer, cheated on his wife because he wanted another woman, killed the husband so he could have her. He was useless, wasn't he, really? Generally, he was pretty bad. Solomon, hardly a pillar of ethics to follow. What about Noah? Well, he built a boat. He's a pretty good shipbuilder. He wasn't so good with alcohol afterwards, was he? When he got drunk and lay there naked. And we could go on with person after person, couldn't we, in the Bible? Every single one of them had their flaws. Every single one of them was human like you and me. And yet look how God used them. And when we look through the pages of scripture, he's saying, think about these people. Paul, he stood there and watched a murder happen. God used him. Peter, he was a disaster area right from the start. He kept putting his foot in his mouth every time he opened it. Never got it really figured out, did he? Until Pentecost. And then even then afterwards, he had a run in with Paul. They had a clash of ideas and thoughts. All these people, Mary Magdalene, that God used just as they were, shone through them, held them, worked with them and through them to bring Him glory. And as we read the pages of Scripture, we need to be encouraged because if God can use people like that, Why can't he use you and me to do the same things? And then think about all the people in history. The examples of others. And Paul here says, look at me and let me look at you. He said, I can see God working in you, the church in Philippi. And isn't that amazing? 
And you know what's even more amazing? You can see God working in me, even though I'm here in chains, connected to these guys. That's amazing as well. Because God is at work in all of us. He's holding us, and he's working in us, and he's working through us. And he says, you know what? Because of those things, we should be the most joyous people in existence. Shouldn't we? That God is growing in you and through you. That God is lifting you up like a star for other people to see and to be blessed by you. And that God is holding you in his word and in his arms. Enabling you to be an example to others as they are an encouragement to you. Isn't God amazing? And God delights, look back in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God delights in bringing joy into you and through you to others. It's God who works in you. So that as you act according to his will, his design, his purpose, his plan for your life, that joy will spread out to others. I heard about a man who walked by a card table in a hotel and he noticed three men and a dog playing cards. And the dog appeared to be winning. He said, that must be a really smart dog, the man said. He's not so smart, said one of the other players. Every time he gets a good hand, his tail wags. That should be like you and me. You know that? We should have constantly our tail wagging with joy. Because of what Christ has done for us. Because of his joy in us, flowing out through us to others. Rick Warren said this, You don't bring glory or pleasure to God by hiding your abilities or by trying to be someone else. You can only bring him enjoyment by being you. Every human activity except sin can be done for God's pleasure. Joy happens when you participate in the life and work of Jesus Christ for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you because you delight in us. And honestly, I can't understand that, but I accept it. That you look at each one of us because you created us, you knit us together. You said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you pour your joy into us. So that we should be like those dogs wagging their tails. Because we're just so excited. We can't help ourselves. Because you are growing in us. You're challenging us and changing us and moulding us and making us more like Jesus Christ. And that's exciting. And you're holding us up like shining examples for others. And they say, if you look at him, you look at her, man, they bring pleasure. Man, they're good to be around. There's something different about them. Just like that waitress. The people are changed 
because they come within our sphere, within the light that you have placed in us. And not only that, we can be held by you, by your word, and be an encouragement to each other. Because as we see you changing us, and growing in us, and the joy you've placed in us, so we can see it in one another. And what a joy that brings us when we see a brother or a sister grow in Christ. It is beautiful. We want to thank you. We want to praise you. And we want to ask that your joy would continually fill us to overflowing as we seek to be more and more obedient to you. Lord, we lift ourselves to you in the name of Christ. Amen.